not only is this mug too small, it's designed for a left-handed person because a normal right-handed mug has the image on this side. <laughs> That's kind of interesting because we do a lot of mugs and stuff at our office. Huh, I have to talk to him. Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's Marilyn needs one of these too. So the fact that the time changed, I, I'm, if I understand this correctly, that gives me an extra hour this morning. Is, am, I, am I all good to go with that? <laughs> oh, I lost an hour, but isn't it really only like nine? No? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, to get a bit more serious here, you know, the past few weeks, we've been seeing a lot of images of war on the screen. We've been witnessing a lot of ugly things that are taking place, very difficult things. You know, over the past decade, Marilyn and I have supported a ministry called Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine. We've been sponsoring two little clubs in Ukraine. And the purpose of these clubs is to bring the gospel to the children that are invited in on a weekly basis. They share, they, they come and play soccer, they do games, they do art things, but they hear the gospel on reaching out to the families. So when I'm, when I'm confronted with these images of war that I have seen, of what's taking place in Ukraine, I'm reminded we have Christian brothers and sisters this morning going through horror. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this. My mind does things at times, and I imagine things, and, and I, I think about maybe a young mother who a month ago, right? Month ago, she goes. She goes in on a Monday morning, and you know, and she's she's ordering this venti iced skinny hazel macchiato at Starbucks. Yet today, she's hunkered down with an AK-47 in hand, trying to protect her children as Russian troops bear down upon her. Man, life can change in a heartbeat. It's true, isn't it? It doesn't always change for the better, does it? At least not from our perspective at times. There are a lot of sermons that we hear. A um, number of them are filled with kind of silly stuff. I don't want this sermon this morning to be like that. I want our sermon this morning to be the kind of sermon that holds true here in our comfy church building in Merrimack, to hold true here and to hold true on the streets of Ukraine with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering and even struggling for their lives this morning. I pray that this will be the kind of sermon that does that. So please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And we are going to begin with verse 3 this morning. And Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. I want to just stop there. Let's reread that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. When I was 17 years old, which that was a long time ago, all right, um, God saved me. Christ became my my Lord and my Savior. And at that moment in life, a 17-year-old, I had no clue what was coming in life. You know, now I'm just about to hit 62. You know, my precious bride and I have been through a lot of things over the last nearly 42 years of marriage. We've been a lot of things. I just, I just want to, I don't want to go into any detail, but I just want to give you a snippet of what life in Christ has been like. Some of the things that maybe we've said or we've heard said. Maybe some of the things we've experienced. I mean, things like, Happy Thanksgiving. You're being laid off today. Or how about this? I hate you. I want a divorce. Or what about, I just want to die. Miscarriage. You have cancer. Your children have been in an accident. They're being helicoptered to two different trauma centers. Your child's not going to live. Oh, still alive, but worry. Brain dead. Vegetable. Oh, thank you for moving your family across the United States, but today you are losing your job. Oh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, that's happened twice in our lives. Attempted suicide. Found. Face down in a snowbank, but still alive. Throughout our marriage, in Christ, my bride and I have been through some extremely difficult times. Very painful decades. I know some people like to just call them seasons. Some very extended lengths of time. But then again, I stand here and I think, we've been through a great deal, but yet God has blessed us. I mean, we've been through enough to write a book or two, but we've not buried a child as some have. We've not yet been jailed, tortured, or martyred for the faith in Christ that some have. And we've not yet had to pick up weapons to defend our homeland from foreign invaders. As some of our brothers and sisters are doing this morning. Bottom line, no matter what those slick snake oil selling TV preachers want us to believe, 
no matter what they want us to believe about this being the best life now, or about that we're the, the head and not the tail, about how all we have to do, all you got to do is muster up a little faith, and yeah, I use my last name, but to muster up a little faith, and you can command that tank to be uprooted and thrown into the sea. In spite of all that stuff, I want you to hear what we just read. Christians do undergo afflictions. Christians do need comfort. Christians do need mercy. I mean, isn't that what we just read? The only reason, I've got to share this, the only reason any one of us ever gets through those seasons of affliction, those times when we need comfort, those days when we need mercy, is not, is not because we got this, but because God's got us. And he has no intention of letting us go. Because our God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And I just want to talk about that word mercy there. Paul could have used numerous Greek words for the word mercy or mercies. And the one he chose is actually one that apply, it, it implies that the one showing mercy feels for actually has feelings for what the other person is going through. It's not, just, uh, uh, it's not just the mercy shown with no feelings. It's one where the one showing mercy fills what the other person is going through and then grants mercy. God shows mercy to us because he feels what his children experience. Even though God is transcendent, that big word for beyond creation, outside of creation, even though God is that way, God loved us so much that he took on human nature and became man. He lived amongst us. And in doing so, God felt suffering as a man. God in Christ felt human pain. Jesus in the flesh experienced anguish. Jesus understands what it means to be ridiculed, to be tortured, to be mocked and spit upon, to be jeered at and abused. Paul uses mercies here because God truly fills man's need for mercy. And in case you're wondering, because sometimes, you know, the Greek and the English get all confused, that word there, all, as in God of all comfort, and as God, or in, as in all of our affliction, that word means all, everything. All as in any kind of affliction. The God of all comfort in times of misery, in times of distress, in times of the loss of a loved one, in times of the loss of a job, in the moments of oppressive situations, in the moments of despair, in the moments of depression, in the moments of suffering, we have a God who comforts us in all our affliction. Affliction, there's a, there's a word. 
The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines affliction in this manner. Affliction, anything causing pain or distress, suffering, calamity. From the biblical viewpoint, affliction began with the entrance of sin into the world. Both mankind and all creation were afflicted with thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay. Because of sin, misery is a common human experience, and our short life is full of trouble. Anybody else ever have any trouble in your life? Any difficult times? Anybody in here ever felt a moment of distress, a moment of calamity, a moment of suffering, or is it just me and my wife? Anybody else ever have a hard day? Good. I'm speaking to you. The word's speaking to you. And here's something I want to share that you probably have figured out, but in case you haven't, I ought to share it every, you know, also, uh, real comfort doesn't come from food. Real comfort doesn't come from drink. Real comfort doesn't come from substances. Real comfort doesn't come from physical contact, from intimate relationships. Real comfort doesn't come from money, and it does not come from success. Even though these things may make us feel comfortable at times, I want to make it clear that we all understand they do not bring true comfort in a biblical sense. And being comfortable is not always a good thing. There are many people very comfortable on their way to hell. But comfort is a critical and an important thing. So what about this comfort, this God of all comfort? In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus is promising to his disciples, he's referring, he's telling them that the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come to them to help. And he, he uses the word helper there. I'm sending you another helper. And that in the Greek, that word helper is the word paraclete. And it means, this is what it means, I'm sending you one called alongside to help, to counsel, and to protect. Well, today the word comfort is built upon, it has as its root paraclete. It's got as its root this thought of one that is coming alongside to help, to counsel, to protect. Now, I admit it that at times I find it very difficult myself to be around those who need comforting. I don't know about the rest of you, but it is hard for me to want to be around somebody who has just sustained a terrible loss and is deeply grieving or is going through a horrific time or is just suffering. It's hard for me to want to be around them. I mean, it's been, I think, 17 years ago since my father passed away. And I remember that he had so many friends until it seemed like the day he got really sick. And was the closer he got to death, the fewer of the people that visited. It was very uncomfortable. You know, and, and I don't know about the rest of you. It's hard for me to to walk into a situation where there are raw emotions and there's a lot of worry and there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of those what-if questions. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but there are times in life where it's... <sighs> we can become a mess. And I don't know, but it's hard for me to want to walk in there. 
Maybe it's hard for you at times to, to want to go around and be around people that are undergoing affliction. But the good news from our text is here today that God, the Father of mercies, is better than us. He doesn't run from those who are having raw emotions, worry, anxiety, fear, and those what-if questions. No, God, our comforter, runs towards us during those times of affliction. He comes up alongside us during those times, wraps his arm around us. So when we're falling apart emotionally, God, our comforter, is running towards us. When we feel trapped with no way out, God, our comforter, is there with us. When we're overcome with anxiety and worry and fear and doubt because of what has come upon us, God, our comforter, has come up alongside us is what our text is really saying this morning. God, our comforter, comes alongside us so that he can go through it with us in order to help us through it all. But how? You know, some might be asking, well, how does God comfort us? Well, God's comfort sometimes comes in the form of supernatural peace that we just cannot understand where it's coming from. At other times, God's comfort comes through his word, or maybe when we're in prayer, or maybe in a moment of worship. I heard somebody that I really love very much yell out and holler at the end of a song this morning. And I know that that song has been so, it's been so good to her through the years to comfort. It is well with my soul. I mean, I get it. And at other times, God comforts us through other believers. Other believers who have experienced and know well how God comforted them in the same types of moments that those around them are going through. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I thought about that, an example. Let's say there's an example. You know what? When a married couple comes to, you know, my wife and I, and they're fearing for their marriage, they don't know how they're going to get through their marriage. Because of how God has already comforted us, how he has already come up alongside us in our marriage, we are then able to share God's comfort with others. I know that we're in a small group, my wife and I, and it's a small group of married couples. And I'll tell you what, I walk out of there sometimes thinking, man, I really needed to hear that. That really brought me peace with somebody else shared. You know, and it's just, that's one way God comforts. I also think back a few years ago, I was sitting in an ice, well, in a waiting room in California at a hospital, and my brother was having a fairly major surgery, so I'm sitting in there waiting. And as I'm waiting over here, I hear this, this, this dear, precious grandma talking about her 17-year-old child or son, grandson, who's in an ICU room clinging for his life, and then I hear her start talking about God. I mean, man, I hear those things, two things together, and I think, I understand what she's going through. 
And I go up to her, you know, and I, and I can at that moment say, you know what? I remember two decades ago, almost two decades ago, when my own child was in that same ICU. And when they said there was no hope. And we just sat there and we talked and afterwards she just threw up her hands and said, praise God, because God had brought comfort through somebody that had gone through the same thing. And Paul is saying that in our text this morning. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. It, if we, verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your own comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. I like that. It shows a connection. You know, at times as believers, maybe I've felt, maybe it's just me, but I've felt at times that I'm kind of a lone sheep. And maybe some of us have felt at times that we're kind of alone and on our own, but that's not the case. That's not really the case. We, the church, the body of Christ, are an interwoven body. We are connected one to another. We have these puny brains and we have this poor eyesight, this poor vision when it comes to grasping eternal matters at times. So we do not always see clearly what God is eternally doing in that moment. But I promise you, he is doing something and the way that we can come up alongside and comfort one another, and all of that fits into what he is doing. I mean, I think back to one of those episodes that I highlighted, and I think to how when our, you know, our children were injured pretty bad, how we had a church of people come up and pray and sit and, and all of that. It's wonderful. We are not alone. Paul and his fellow ministers were suffering. They were feeling affliction in order to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, to people like us. I mean, the very fact that we have this letter is the result, in many ways, of Paul's afflictions. So much of what he wrote. I mean, you know, five of the epistles he wrote from prison. His suffering, his affliction, was worth it. The gospel went out. You know what? Nothing we go through in life, none, none of our moments in life, I promise you, is wasted when it comes to God. He uses it all for his glory and the good of his people. You know, whereas some may be inflicted in order to share the gospel is what Paul is saying, others will find eternal comfort in the gospel that is shared. There's a connection. God's in control of it all. 
You know, there's often a cost associated with our coming up alongside another. Because remember, we're called to comfort as we have been comforted. There's often a cost associated with our coming up alongside another in order to bring God's comfort to that person in the time of their need. But then there's a cost to following Christ. It costs us our very lives. And Jesus gave his very life that we would be comforted eternally with the gospel. I just have a few talking points. I'll just kind of put them down here, summarize. Point number one, Christians do experience affliction. Number two, God comforts his children. Number three, God's children share his comfort with others. If I want to summarize all those verses, that's the quickest way I can do it. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You know what we just read? that even if you are considered one of the greatest Christian believers of all time, like the Apostle Paul, even if you have written a major portion of the letters that are contained in the New Testament, at times, even that super-Christian can become completely overwhelmed beyond his or her own strength. I'll tell you what, it's happened to me. If it hasn't happened to you, maybe it will. It can. I, I get so tired of hearing the promise, God will not give us more than we can handle. Rubbish. Rubbish. We just read that's not true, right? Go talk to that believer in, in the Ukrainian trenches right now. Go ask that person that has a son or a daughter in the ICU right now. Go ask this person over here that, that just lost their job only because they're a Christian, you know, right now. Go, go and ask these people, has God given you more than you can handle? And I'll tell you what, the answer is yes. Now, I suspect at this very moment, many Ukrainian believers are feeling what Paul felt. I can picture right now that some are feeling utterly burdened beyond their own strength. I can picture some despairing of life itself right now. I can picture some feeling as if they have received the sentence of death. You know what? I, I, not a single one of us, whether we believe it or not, not a single one of us is so strong 
that we are without weakness. Each one of us has a limit where all our strength runs out, where we hit the wall. We don't know what might bring us to that wall of our own limits, but believe me, it can happen in the shortest of moments. The phone call, the knock on the door, the words of a doctor, the enemy at the border. I want to restate that statement that God will not give us more than we can handle. I want to restate it, and I think it's a bit more accurate. God will not give us more than he can handle. He will not put us into a situation that he cannot come alongside us and bring us through. Now, if you are in one of those despairing, even life itself moments, there is hope. His name is Comforter. He is God. And he is already alongside you. But why? Why does God allow us situations beyond our own strength? Circumstances that only he is able to bring us through? Let's continue with verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Point one, Christians experience affliction. Point two, God comforts his children. Point three, God's children share his comfort with others. Point four, in our affliction, we learn not to depend upon ourselves, but to rely upon God instead. And point five, our afflictions are intended to shift our hope from hopeless things onto God, where true mercy and true comfort and true hope is found. If you've ever been through a difficult time, as I know many people have, I think one thing that all of us might agree upon is there's a lot of purifying that goes, that takes place. There's a lot of what used to be really important that no longer is important. I mean, just one example of that, when, when our children were involved in a car crash, I'd been traveling 300 days a year up to that point. The moment the phone call came, the knock at the door came, none of that was important. Didn't matter. Life changed that quickly. Why? Because our hope now had been shifted Instantly, mine instantly had been shifted from things that didn't matter in eternal perspective to God, the only one 
who mattered in that moment. Verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You know what? When we reach those limits of our strength, God is there. But we do not always realize it and we do not always see him. It is at those times when we do not see God that the prayers of our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, becomes all the more critical. I wonder, are we willing to pray? Are we willing to lift up prayers on behalf of those who do not have strength to pray right now? Are we willing to come up alongside another person to comfort them today as God has previously comfort us? I pray so. I hope so. Hope it even begins with me. As I start to move towards my end here, Have you ever noticed how in Scripture, when you read this book, how God and Scripture breaks down people into only two categories? Only two types of people. A lot of people say there are many types of people. No, there are two. I mean, Scripture is really good at breaking things down. The wheat and the tares. The sheep and the goats. Those who are children of the devil and those who are children of God. Those who are in Adam. Those who are in Christ. Those who have sinful Adam as their representative before God and those who have Christ Jesus, the perfect and righteous one, as their advocate before the throne of God. I mean, there's a whole list of two groups, two categories. But the bottom line is, in group one, there are those who believe Jesus is the only way to God, who have set their hope upon Christ alone for salvation, who, as part of that, have turned from their, their sin and their self-righteousness and are following Christ today. And then there's group two. Group two consists of the majority of the people that we will encounter every day. The majority of the people who justify their sinful actions and still believe that when they stand before the throne of God on judgment day, those in group two think, oh, okay, I'm good to go. Why? Because I am a good person. So I started to think after this, this passage of Scripture, what is the proper response maybe for those in group one to this message and for those in group two to this message? 
What does the proper response to our text look like for those in group one who, who know and believe that Jesus was punished in their place, that their penalty for sin fell upon him? Those in group one who, are, who have had the righteousness of Christ accredited to their account, what is the proper response of those in group one? Well, since I'm in group one, I think I'm just going to share with you what these verses have done to me and how they have led me to want to respond. First off, I'm going to examine my life to find those areas where I'm still relying upon myself to get through them where I'm relying upon my own strength, where I am just like gritting my teeth and I'm going to go through my life. I'm going to examine it and I'm going to find those areas where I am just still putting my hope in myself and my own abilities, my own strength, and I am going to at that moment set my hope upon and rely upon God in that area. I'm going to confess my sin of self-reliance and I'm going to rely upon him and his comfort and his mercy. And this is even harder for me because as part of that response, I'm going to do something. Huh. That makes me feel really uncomfortable. As part of my response, I'm going to humble myself so that I no longer resist, as I often do, the comfort of God from fellow believers that God has sent into my life to come alongside. There have been times when I've been going through really difficult things and God has sent somebody to comfort me and I just kind of blow them off. Oh, no, I, I'm okay, I'm okay. I think as part of this, I'm going to stop resisting that. I'm going to let God, through his, his children, come up alongside me and help me walk through it. But you might have heard that and you might say, but I'm not in group number one. I am in group number two. I still believe that I'm all set before God because I am a good person. So what is your proper response this morning? Well, first off, it is to understand this, that on judgment day, you know, a lot of people say I'm a good person. And they think that they're going to be, you know, compared to Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin. Putin, or that crazy guy ruling Korea. Well, we have to admit, if you're in group two, you've got to admit this one thing, and you've got to know this to be true, that you're not going to be compared to those people. You're going to be compared to Jesus. You're going to be compared to perfection. God has given one command to those in group two, and the same command he gave to those in group one, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard of measure, perfection. If you're listening to this guy up here today, and you're in group two, 
if you have not yet put your faith in Christ, and if you are not yet trusting in him for salvation, then I think the proper first response is to stop trusting in your own goodness. Stop trusting that your good works are going to save you on the day of judgment when you have to give an account for every one of your actions. Stop thinking that you're going to somehow rescue yourself from God's wrath. Admit to God that you need his mercy today. And then your proper response, if you're in group two, is to, to look upon Jesus, to see him high and lifted up upon the cross, hanging there on the cross in your place, with your sin placed upon him. See that he did that for you. And then, out of gratitude towards what Jesus did, turn from your sin and remorse and follow Jesus today. And you know what? Then you will know the truth of that statement that our God is the God of all mercies and the God who comforts us through every affliction. Let's pray. Father God, almighty and everlasting king, majestic ruler, you truly are a God who is merciful, a God who cares, a God who comforts. Thank you for sending your son. He is our eternal comfort. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, that we might have hope and we might have life. Father, as we leave here this morning, let us please take to heart, take to mind something that has been said this morning. Anything I said that should not have been said, just strike from our memories, but anything that is true, let it be heard, and let us act upon the truth of who you are. We thank you for this day. We thank you for grace. And I do want to lift up, and we want to lift up those, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, our brothers and sisters in Russia, and in other parts of this world that are undergoing really difficult things this morning. Please be their God of comfort this morning. In the name <coughs> of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond.